Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski here with the best co-host and critic in the world. I don't know about the world. <laughs> Maybe in the confines of uh, one, of, a, one, a one f- block radius. <laughs> one of my favorite people, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Fall is a really busy time. Right after TIFF, everybody else gears up. It's like, okay, that's the end of TIFF. Now it's... Uh, everybody else's turn to have a festival and an event. And before we get into to, uh, well, and there's also releases. So before we, you know, cover any festivals and stuff, um, we thought we'd cover some films that are coming out in theaters, you know, just to get you get you going because there's, there's some really great stuff coming out. Uh, the first film we're going to talk about is called Human Nature. And it premiered at Hot Docs just uh, earlier this year. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting doc about uh, the biggest tech, what they call, this is, this is the tagline, the biggest tech revolution of the 21st century. It's not digital, it's biological. And I swear, this is the most interesting film or interesting experience I've had with science and biology and and all that stuff, and I I didn't hate science when I studied it, but this was like, this is fascinating. It's about these discoveries, the latest discoveries, um, in the context of like going all the way back to the beginning of people, the beginning of the world, and how now um, it through all these various diseases that, you know, genetic diseases that, that uh, get passed on and um, the frustration that the scientific community has had with not being able to do anything about it, how um, there's this one discovery that they've made. There's a, a few of them actually laid out in the film, but there's this one which is called, it's nicknamed CRISPR or I guess that's its name, actually. And, and it's basically a, a sort of a, a way of enabling scientists to get in and genetically alter things so that, for example, they, uh, there's a, a young boy in the film and he's got um, sickle cell. Sickle cell. And it's, it's a, his prognosis, even though he's, he's got the best of care in North America, his prognosis is better than if he lived somewhere else, um, like in an African nation, which is usually where you see a lot of sickle cell. Um, his prognosis is better, but it's not great. Like it basically, uh, with uh, the way he's being treated by the hospitals, they could get 40 years probably of life up for him instead of 10 at the best in another country. Um, but this this breakthrough in this discovery is a way that possibly in the future they could uh, genetically alter um, what happens, you know, uh, what people pass down uh, or genetically alter an embryo uh, so that they take out that one bit. And the way they break down genes and DNA um, it's, I'm telling you guys, it's fascinating. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I mean, it's, it's yes, you've got the talking heads experts, but some of them are really quite quirky and funny. 
um, and you've got this old footage. So you've got this found footage of like old, you know, I don't know if it's 1950s or 30s or, you know, people talking about it and, and sort of the, that's the playing off each other. And in between, you get these animated sequences where they completely, and it's almost playfully, break down genetic, whole genetic sequences and then break down how this CRISPR discovery or this CRISPR element of genetic code mm. can go in and alter things. And so I was absolutely enthralled by this film. Yeah, I, I um, loved it as well. And I think as you hit the nail on the head, it goes through a lot of in-depth science and a lot of deep scientific jargon and breaks it down in a way that anyone can walk away and understand. Like I, I was explaining this friend or this film to a friend and I was able to use layman's terms and explain exactly what CRISPR is and how it's, you know, the spacing in between the repetitious parts of the DNA. And I was surprised by how well I was able to articulate what I had learned from the film. And again, it's partly because they have so many engaging knowledgeable people and it's not just like your your dry scientists who are talking monotone these are lively interesting people who are fascinated by the science see the potential but then also raise genuine concerns about the risk and you know who can afford it if you can alter if you can fix a gene for an ailment that bothers you and possibly fix future generations, well, what else are you going to fix? Are you just going to make sure they don't contract with that particular ailment or are you going to make them taller, stronger, have blue eyes? Like there's a lot of... And then what kind of consequence will come Mm -hmm. when that piece is missing from the genetic code? What do we not foresee that's going to be an actual consequence of that? And there's a sort of, they touch on morality, but they don't want to put it in moral terms. Um, But they try and put it in practical, logical terms. Yeah. To put it in moral terms is is a very difficult debate that no one, neither side would win. And I I like that um, director Adam Bolt doesn't go that route. He, he, He does talk about the the false narrative that you often hear in the media because people like to kind of boil things down to a sensational thing. Oh, you're going to make every child blonde hair, blue eyes. It's like, okay, well, there's it's more nuance to that. Yeah. That, that. There's a possibility, but there's a whole nuance. And then like, I, I like that they give you the pros and the cons and then leave it to you, the viewer to walk away and decide what are your thoughts on it? You know, it doesn't give you a, a fast, this is what you must think of CRISPR. No. You know, CRISPR is wonderful and fantastic because of the possibilities, but at the same time, should we be using those possibilities at all? Should we use it for good? Could it be used for bad? Think about it. You know, and it's yeah. it's it's really well done. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way. I also like the way it wraps. The, I'm not going to tell you how it wraps, but the way it kind of wraps it up and takes it sort of back to the beginning, but because of all that you've learned and all the different questions it's raised. It gives you a different way of looking at, for example, what would happen if you got rid of a particular disease. Mm-hmm. And, and it explains, like, why now that's – and even more complicated because of everything that we've gone through in the course of the film, why that's a particularly complicated question now. Yeah. So looks like two thumbs up. Yeah, very good for, film. 
Yeah, for for human nature. Now in Toronto, that's going to open on October fourth, which is Friday. And uh, in other cities, it'll be you know Guelph on the sixth, Waterloo, Hamilton, Ottawa on the eleventh, and so basically just watch for this film, Human Nature. And he, we all know it's better to see on the big screen documentaries. You know they've got this renaissance now. They 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 really are having their moment, and so it's it's fun to see them on the big screen too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we're gonna also tell you about. See, the Goethe Institute in Toronto does this. Um, they keep putting on these amazing series, right? And it's it's generally like a monthly series. Uh, so what they've done for October is they've put together. Um, a, short, a small collection of uh, um, which recent, yeah, recent, um... recent gangster films, but they're they're not what you would typically think. They're a little bit more complicated. They're more complex, um, and they're gangster films like from recent times. So it's, the whole series is called Stronger Than Blood, and it, that's named after a film, Stronger Than Blood. Um, that came out in 2009. Um, there's a film called Dealer from 1999. And, um, yeah, and that's, and then the other one was Chico, the yes, one we, that we, which saw. we saw. And that's from 2008. And so basically, um, what they noticed is like there's this sort of thriller subgenre that, that's been going on. And it's very male centric in contrast to what's been going on basically all over the world where things are female driven feminist this this exa- these films they examine sort of the the world of male violence um and sort of the lives that people end up living in the more crime ridden and so that tends to be the males right who end up in the more crime ridden um with the added um interesting factor that a lot of th- that they focus on immigrant experience as well and how people sort of get stuck in that life or they get involved in that life. Or maybe some of the films don't even question like how this person got into it. It's just that's the fact and they're going to examine it. And in the case of Chico, which is a, you know about a person named Chico and, and he wants to to be a big shot in the gangster world you know, by challenging this big-time guy. And and sort of catches that guy's attention. Um, but in this case, Chico and his best friend, there's like, it's a bit more complicated because that's, and, and to to their credit, I think these films are showing that it's more complicated even if you are in that male-driven violent society in that, in that, that maybe that track or that loop, um, that... That doesn't mean you don't have family ties. That doesn't mean you have loyalty ties, you know, with that you don't have loyalty ties with your friends. That doesn't, they, these other, com- it, they're complicated. And that's what I liked about Chico. And that's, you know, I think what's going to be really interesting about the series. Um, but I, I'll let you talk. I liked Chico. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I, I like Chico, but. I had some issues with it. Tell and, me, please. And the issues are that because it's the gangster genre and because the gangster genre is typically so male-centric, there's a lot of familiar beats in this film. 
So, as you said, Chico, you know, tries to get in good with this big time crime boss, drug dealer, uh, Brownie, uh, who's played by the actor from Run, Lola Run, whose name is eluding me at the moment. And that stuff is interesting. But the minute I saw his interactions with his best friend, um, was it Tibet? Yeah, his they pronounced it, pronounced it differently, but in the subtitles it looked like Tibet. Yeah, so, so well, we'll just call him Tibet for the sake of this discussion. I knew exactly where things were going to go. And there's a moment where the gangster brownie, the, the crime boss, tells him, you know, your friend, he's going to be your downfall. Like, he's going to mess things up for you. And I was sitting there going, like, yep, I pretty much knew that from yeah. the beginning because he's the hot-headed friend. And this was one of the things that bothered me about the film. He, he, the friend causes a lot of problems and at no point takes any responsibility for it, you know, as the film progresses. So... But the lawyer, okay, I should let you finish, but think about the question about uh, loyalty in these kind of films. Usually it's unexplainable. Well, no, no. The loyalty I completely get. I just, because I knew how that friendship dynamic was set up, I knew where the film was going. And as you know, Chico's rising up and kind of living the life. I'm like, your friend's going to bring you down or something's going to happen where it's going to, there's going to be a lot of conflict with that friend and things play out. That doesn't mean that I didn't like the film. I, I, I still enjoy it. I think it's surprisingly funny for what it is. I think um, the, the actors are all really charming. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the subplot with Tibet's mother kind of being like Chico's surrogate mother, I found really interesting. Uh, I wish they'd delved into the whole immigrant dynamics more than they did uh and again it's a, it's an entertaining film i i had a good time watching it i just there was a lot of times i was like oh i know where this beat's going oh know. yeah so oh. I, I wish it was more surprises there's a way that it sets things up uh especially after uh they meet up the very first time and the and brownie gives them their their challenge mm-hmm. and it's like so so i thought to myself so now the film is going to be about how to complete this task, yep, and it's and that's where the thrilling moments are going to be. It's going to be: Are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? And what is going to get in their way? Because things are going to get in their way. Um, but so I I liked it, yeah, too. Um, that didn't bother me as much because I I sort of like the style of it. I like the energy of it. I, it was raw. It it had a sort of a a look to it. Which gave it a certain feel, which I get, I guess, was that adding to that raw mm-hmm. sense that it gave it. It sort of it had some like rushes of adrenaline that it pushed, right? Yeah. It me a lot of rush of adrenaline, but it pushed, and you know, and the, and the comedy. So these are things, you know. It's like I found them interesting that all these things were kind of being played around in that in that one film. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't write it off. No, no, I wouldn't write it off. Oh, I would, I'd definitely tell people to go see it. It's it's an entertaining film. It's just if you've if you've seen a lot of gangster films, yeah. just know that there's going to be certain plot beats that you 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 just going to know yeah. where they go, and you just kind of have to go. Okay, they're going there now. Let's just <laughs> get through that. And it's but yeah, the context it, is different, right? Yeah, the context is different, and it's you know as I said, the performances are good, humor is good. It's it's an enjoyable film. It's just it, it has a few too many predictable moments for me, for my taste. Okay, so um, the Goethe Institute is presenting so these three films, and Chico is going to be on October the eighth. Unfortunately, we're we're taping here on October third, and one of the films is showing tonight. 
So that leaves you with a couple of choices. Yeah, you can still catch the other two, though. Yeah, and and they're they're screening at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. So, you know, have a look at the schedule and then, uh, you know, check it out. It's something different that's happening now, you know, in in Germany or recently in Germany. Uh, Now we're going to go to a completely different film. Um, not, well, different in, in style, okay. but there's okay. some similar the, themes. Though. There is something in it that really ties it together. Um, but in style, yeah. Um, so this is, uh, a film that won at Sundance for the film itself. I can't remember which award. Oh, it won the World Cinema Dramatic Special Jury Award. Oh, interesting. Okay. And the actor in it, the main actor, Kristina Yanda, that's the Polish way of saying it, um, she won for act, her acting, at both at Sundance, right? So on Friday, next Friday, right? We're, we're giving you a little warning here. Next Friday, this film called Dolce Fina Giornata is going to be at the light box and uh one thing i found interesting and i, I you know i have to i'm going to quote another critic because mm-hmm. uh, this was on it doesn't say who but it was on rogerebert.com it uh it the critic said that it falls between a swoon worthy luca gudagnino oh yeah guadagnino and yep. film and a paolo sorrentino satire interesting comparison yeah, so it's sort of like you know, it's so the guy who did um, sort of, "Call Me by Your Call no, Me by Your Name," yeah, Luke, Gordon, yeah. and then uh, Pablo who did like "Youth" and uh, yeah. Oh, the the one before that was about uh, oh, Rome. What was it called? Oh, I know he's done so many. In no, the, no, the but last the very years. first one, like the sweeping epic mm-hmm. of Rome that everybody compared to Fellini's film. Oh, uh, here we that. are. With our bad memories right ah, now. We'll come back to it. Anyway, so I could see that Paolo, Paolo Sorrentino, he just loves especially to make fun of the Italian, you call it bourgeoisie in the old, you know, it, it feels like kind of old-fashioned in that sense, in the way that it sets up this woman. And so Christina Yanda is playing a Polish woman who ended up staying. She's a writer, and she uh, ended up staying in Tuscany, when she went to visit once and then you know so now she lives there she lives in a in the tuscan countryside in a villa with her italian husband her daughter and her grandchildren are visiting and they you know it starts off with this party and um the whole thing that's very paolo sorrentino ish Mm -hmm. because it's kind of it's kind of gets to a ridiculous point where everybody's just a little too much too much bourgeois nonsense going on. And they even go running off into the countryside, like in this ridiculous kind of absurd dance in the countryside. Yeah. While, while high on marijuana. (laughs) Yeah. And so we contrasted that in the same uh, village, there are immigrants from other nations. So, um, like, for example, they befriend this this man who immigrated from Egypt, but he's definitely looked upon not by them. You know, they're they're quite fond of him. But you know, by other, there's an incident that reveals by other people in the countryside that there's he's he's sort of looked upon with like half trust, half suspicion, mm-hmm. um, even though everything 
that's sad about him suggests that he's a really standout guy, and he seems really nice. Well, it's just the fact that he's he's one of one of those immigrants. Yeah, they, pretty he's, much, he's yeah. just other. He's darker skinned. He's other. He's not from here, so that that sets up this sort of dynamic, especially considering his relationship with the main character. And uh, so she has been given the the Nobel Prize for Literature, and there's this other award that she's up for that the town is giving her. And, you know, so she's sort of teasing her daughter about, well, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, and everybody sort of treats her like this granddam. And she carries on sort of like the granddam who owns the place, mm-hmm. you know, and, and wanders around and doesn't seem to really understand the consequences especially with her interactions with Nazir. And then um, a terrorist attack occurs. We should prob- I should probably stop talking at this point. And that changes everything. Yes, I was... Oh, I can see your face. I'm oh, you're still, just itching. No, go, no, go, go. I, I, I've been wrestling with this film for, for a while now because... It's not simple. This one is not simple. No, it's, it's not simple. Or simplistic either. But I, there's there's two arcs to this this film. There's the one arc where you have um, the writer uh, Maria, I believe was her name, mm-hmm. um, living her life and you know being very friendly with Nazir and just kind of as you said, like I think you said it best of how like her just kind of walking and driving around like as she owns the entire place. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other side where the film gets more political and it's the you need to wake up side, right? Yeah. So there's the one side of this kind of like May, December, swooning countryside romance and we need to to see the world for what it really is. But I don't know if Maria is the perfect character to usher in that wake up call. Oh, I would beg to differ. <clears throat> well, and, she but he, is the perfect because she is so... Not she thinks she's woke, and she is in some bourgeois dream where she's the granddam. When I call her granddam, mm-hmm. I mean it. She thinks because she's celebrated constantly, she's always people are always uh, complimenting her and saying how great she is and great she takes it all in, right? And so, but yet she is she is. Uh, a winner of a literary prize, which means people take what she writes seriously. And to get the Nobel Prize, it means this apparently means something, what she's writing. Mm -hmm. And the film suggests, when you're talking about the second arc, I think it suggests that it shows, it makes us question. What the, you know, are you, are artists really into or is there more of a responsibility and especially with um the metaphor of this there's going to be this artistic um installation in in the square and when that the the ending comes and you see what happens with that and with her it's sort of it's like who who belongs it, it's it's like who is the other? Like, are you clueless? Be, like, are you? No, it's not the other. That's not what I'm trying to say. No, go no, ahead. no. You but I, but you 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 touch on the installation, which is a, a very key part to the end, and that kind of irked me. 
And that's part of the reason why I think that she's a, I don't know if she's the right person to usher this in because I found the, the symbolism at the end to be very heavy handed in terms of like literally shaking, like as if it's grabbing you and shaking you and say, look, look at this, you know? And by that point we've already got the, the idea, but what I'm saying about her being a, a problematic person to carry this message is because as you said, she is so highfalutin for most of it. And then she makes a, she makes a statement because there's a point where she looks at the world. She sees how everyone's reacting to the terrorist act and she makes a statement. And that statement has huge impact because everyone's listening to her. It, it divides people mm-hmm. either way. Yeah. It, and, it, then, really and then, and then she kind of is like, well, whatever. And then people say, well, are you going to, you know, use a statement and, help usher in change via these particular means no no i have no time for that i have no time and it's that kind of she wants it both ways so that by the time you get to the end i didn't and you get that ending which was which was very obvious i felt like i was interested in her her path but by the time you get to that end i was like I don't know if she sells this message the way it's intended to because it's not, it's I think you her. could I think you could read that message in different ways. No, 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 no. It's it's the it's now the message is about her. At the end, the message is saying, you know what, you're clueless. Yeah, but I, I feel and like you you feel like you had this responsibility, you had this platform because you won these awards, you had this platform and. You didn't, uh, you made the statement, but you didn't follow through. You just left it at that and you couldn't be bothered. You wanted to go back to your regular life and not be engaged. And that's why the ending had to be that way because it's like you, that's irresponsible. You can't sort of use your platform and then back away. But then I would counter that by saying the film is also inadvertently saying you're better off if you just keep quiet and that's no, the no, worst no, thing you no. could do I, I i think so though because if you... i think it doesn't say that at all. i think it says you know what you are a fake and you what you say is ringing empty i don't know that's why the ending that's see that's why i've been wrestling with this film it's i was wrestling with it's, it too. I, when I, I first saw it i just thought oh holy crap like what am i gonna how am i gonna figure out this ending and then I, it came to me See, and this is the good thing because I think we have different reads on it. But yeah. now I want to watch it again and with your reading. I want to watch and, it again and, with and yours. see because it's it's an interesting film. Like, I think her performance is great. I, again, I'm, I was following the film. It's 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 one that will definitely generate discussion. I just I just wonder in terms of the message that it's the message I feel it's trying to give. I don't know if it succeeds in. But then if you're looking at it from your point of view, it does succeed because it's giving a completely different message. It is giving a completely different message if you focus on her. But also think about the way when she gave that speech, right? And it sort of rocked everybody's world and everybody just stopped. And then she can't even back up what she was trying to say. She starts to stumble and fumble when... In the, in the conversation afterwards when the journalist sits down with her and says, okay, so what what was going on there? And in, in the same conversation where she says, no, I'm not going to, you know, I can't be bothered. It's like she's trying to defend herself, but she can't because she's struggling for words. Interesting. And I felt like she, she sat down with the journalist because there's a, she at the beginning, she doesn't 
feel like she has anything else to say and you know her work and then she just you know through her experience with nazir she's inspired to to write another thing with nazir and also the terrorist attack but even and then she doesn't really want to think because she, she puts she it out engage, there but yeah. then she's like well i'm an artist i'm not supposed to give be the moral compass and it's like okay but you're using your art to reflect what's going on in society you don't have to offer your moral compass but you're you're trying to open society's eyes to what's what's really going on but then when you get questioned about it you have no no you can't you, back it up you don't bother the thing right to. so it's and she wants to go driving around but, the countryside in her whatever sports car but then you also have the 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 subplot with the cop who wants her to use her her voice for whatever means we're not going to get into that and then like even in he, he there's a point where the film tries to show a little sympathy because he talks about how his child was mistaken for being Moroccan, mm-hmm. even though the child was from Sic- Sicily descent from how many years yeah. type of thing. And then I don't know. I just his turn at the end, the the statements. I just it, because that should. last act didn't sit well with me well because it shows how complicated it is mm-hmm. it's not easy and he's trying to influence her one way and she can't do that but in the end she shows she's not she's not going to stay like she can't do anything and that's her failing that's what i'm saying yeah there's, but- there's something the film says about the responsibility and the role of the artist you can't just dip your toe in and i, I agree you can't dip your toe in but then there's the but, whole – and the, the the whole thing for me to, to still think about was the impact of what she said at that speech. So that's why it's not that easy. And mm-hmm. that's why I think people are going to have a really rich experience watching this film. Be a lot of discussion afterwards. Yeah. Be a lot and of discussion. And you and I are still going to keep talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about this. <laughs> All right. So that is Dolce Fina Giornata. And uh, it opens at the Tiff Lab, um, sorry, the Tiff Bell Lightbox next Friday. So look for it, and uh, yeah, check it out on its theatrical run there. Now, there's something that you've seen. Uh, yes, another film that's opening this week. It's um, called Sometimes, Always, Never, and it's a British. I'd call it a, a dramedy. Um, directed by Carl Hunter, and it stars Bill Nighy and Sam Riley. And in the film, Bill Nighy plays a, a a tailor who is on a mission to find his missing son. Uh, he had a son named Michael who left the house one day and never returned. So as the film starts off, Bill Nighy's character... Um, and his the son that remained, Peter, who's now much older and has a family, they go traveling to this small town to the morgue because they hear there's a, a body that's appeared and they want to make sure that they want to see if it's him or not. And it doesn't turn out to be him. So as they're continuing to try and go about their lives, um, Bill Nighy's character still is adamant about finding Michael. But then same time, he also wants to try and spend more time with Peter's family because he and Peter have a very strained relationship. So the, a lot of the film is watching these two men trying to come to terms with grief and especially gr- grieving the unknown 
because they don't know if the son slash brother is alive or if he's dead, what's going on. So it, it asks the question of basically, is it better not to know and just kind of accept it for life for what it is or to get an answer that could be hurtful either way? Because if you find out he's dead, it's hurtful. If he's alive and you find out that he just essentially disowned you all and never bothered content, that's also equally painful. So you're, you're watching this film and there's a lot of quirky moments to it. The, the film takes its title, something always never from the way a man should button up his suit jacket. So if you have a three button suit, sometimes you button the very top one, the middle one, you always button, but you never button the, the bottom one. You know, it's like one of those little irreverent, exactly. (laughs) One of those irreverent moments. And there's like a lot of those little things and Scrabble plays a huge part in this film. So you see Bill Nighy hustle, (laughs) <laughs> this unsuspecting uh, couple at the beginning out of $200 playing Scrabble because Bill Nighy's character, he's, he's literally a walking encyclopedia. And just, you know, so Scrabble plays a huge role in terms of connecting the family together because that was something that they played when the kids, when boys were young. They played like a knockoff version because apparently he's also really cheap despite <laughs> having a tailor business. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's a weird mishmash of humor and drama and for the most part it works i think the humor the humor is works smoother than the drama but it is an interesting film and, and bill nye he gives a really great performance he's you know you think of bill nye he sometimes you think like love actually and like a lot of big roles but he's very very subdued dry dry british wit but it's uh like you know he still manages to get emotion and and kind of elevate the film wow so is this a british film Yes, I believe it's. Uh, I believe it was. I believe it was shot in Britain. Wow! Yeah. So you would recommend it? Yeah, I would recommend it. I'd recommend and it. It's it's opening theatrically. Yes, I believe it's at the uh, Carlton. Oh, okay. Or I guess whatever the Carlton used to be. Rainbow. Rainbow. I still say the Carlton. It's <laughs> like see, the. It's like this. I say the Sky Dome when it's yeah. Rogers Center or Scotia. I always call yeah. it the Sky Dome. So yeah, I think um, people will know mm-hmm. what you mean when you say the yeah. Carlton. Just so you know, if you're in the mood for something not too heavy, um, still has a bit has heart, but some humor and just a you know it's a brisk hour and thirty minutes. I recommend checking it out. Excellent. All right. Well, Cineplex, I just want to end on a on a happy note, a fun note. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking about some serious, serious stuff and some stuff that, you know, you, you have to travel to a specific theater to go see. And in this case, this is a Cineplex thing that they're doing. They're celebrating um, Halloween during the month of October. And so each, each week they're going to be releasing, you know... A, short run of a different film later on in the month phantom of the paradise which i would mm. recommend highly it's an older film and it's sort of like a phantom of the opera but it's a rock version and i would recommend that but you know we'll tell you about that later in the month um but in this case i they're starting off with a film that i just i love like it's just i just think it's so much fun that's basically my my take on it and it's Ghostbusters. Oh, it's the classic. original Ghostbusters, and it's opening on October sixth. So you know, you, you that way you can check out your listings and uh, yeah, just but it's coming up, and Ghostbusters is fun and it's 
you know what? It's a big screen movie. Like, you, you know, it's like always on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's like, forget that. And it's the type of fun and funny. Because it's, you know, we've got those classic comedians. I mean, Bill Murray, like the yeah, whole. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, the whole gang there. Like, that sort of, like, that era of comedians. Oh, Ivan Reitman. Was yeah, he dir- yeah, Harold, directed. Yeah, Ivan mm-hmm. Reitman directed. Harold Ramis is in. Mm-hmm. I mean, At Ernie Hudson, guys, yep. Yeah, these guys are just. They're they're goofy and hilarious, and it's just just a lot of fun. Um, and I, th- I think it's a great big screen movie. So I'm really glad that Cineplex is doing that. And so that's that. Yeah, a lot a lot to see this weekend. You you won't be bored. Yeah. So as things get chillier outside, things get hotter inside. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. That's yeah. <laughs> I know it was a terrible, was a terrible no, no, joke, a, wasn't it? No, no, I'm like, that's a good tagline. <laughs> Cineplex, right. use that. <laughs> All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you soon.